W-A-L-T, it's the Midnight Disease. Sam Dingman coming to you on the Neumann U87 via the Avidus MA5, the Harrison 32 EQ, and the RNC 500. Analog tones on the Golden Channel for the first time in a couple of weeks here on a Friday afternoon in the Moon Cabin. Folks, as you can hear... My voice is all jacked up today. (laughs) Uh, Nothing is wrong. I don't feel sick. Um, I just woke up with a frog in my throat. So sorry uh, that I sound weird. Um, But it also has uh, maybe a little bit of like Rod Serlingness to it, which is fun for me because usually I sound nowhere near that dignified. On the show today, we're going to do something a little bit different. It's uh, a bit of a long walk to explain, but if you've been listening to the last few of these intros and haven't stopped listening to the show, I think you might have an affinity for long walks. All right, strap on your hokas. We're going for a stroll. So, as many of you know, I used to do this show called Family Ghosts, a project that was very near and dear to my heart, and in every episode, uh, somebody would come to me with a mystery or unanswered question that had been in their family for a long time, and I would work with them to see if we could find the answer. And not just the answer to this mystery, uh, but to kind of unlock the reason that this mystery or this story has a particular hold on this particular member of that family. And we solved uh, all kinds of mysteries on that show. We found a missing corpse, We investigated the origins of a notorious cult in Seattle. And those episodes were always, and investigations, were always very gratifying to me. But to be honest, and this also will not surprise you if you've been listening to The Midnight Disease for a while, the episodes that I I kind of loved the most were the ones where we couldn't necessarily get to a satisfying answer about what this thing was that happened in the distant past. But we were able to make some headway on the psychological hold that that story had on the person who we were working with for that episode. And I think I liked those episodes because in a lot of ways that's the best we can hope for in life, right? Even if we figure out what happened in the past um, in a situation that we don't understand, it's not like we can go back and change it. But what we can do is investigate our connection to it. That is work that is always available to us. And one of my favorite episodes where we did exactly that uh, was this episode with a really wonderful singer-songwriter named Guy Story. And Guy had this family secret that had been lurking in his past for many years that it turns out is connected to some really big life choices Guy made later in his life. And that manifested itself in this really beautiful song that he wrote. And so we made this Family Ghosts episode that was a combination of telling the story 
and hearing the song and talking about the connection between the story and the development of the song craft that led to the song. And I want you to know that if, if you are a listener who comes to the Midnight Disease looking for conversation, not for long-form documentary storytelling, don't worry. Um, though this episode, I think, functions as a documentary of sorts, it really is just a more edited kind of stylized version of the kinds of conversations that we customarily have here. And it's one that really speaks to the mission of this show as much as it did to the mission of Family Ghosts. And so I thought I would share it with you today for a little midsummer change of pace. Next week, we'll be back to our regular long-form conversational stylings here on The Midnight Disease. Next week, it's going to be Mara Wilson, for those of you who are Matilda fans. But in the meantime, I'm very excited to share this journey that Guy Story and I went on, on WALT. If we met at a cocktail party, how would you describe yourself? My name is Guy Story from Mississippi. Uh, I've lived in New York City for a very long time. I used to be in the tech industry for many, many years. And I have uh, recently quit working and have a rock band. When I quit working, um, one thing I was super clear about was I wanted to start a band and write songs and make music. And so, you know, I haven't achieved world fame and uh, it seems unclear whether that's ever going to happen, but um, I get a lot out of it. The uh, sense of discovery of making something new is gratifying and exciting and, and vexing and challenging and uh, fulfilling all those, all those things. That idea of a sense of discovery, I think, is a, is a great segue for us to start talking about this story because this is a story you discovered at this point what, about two years ago? In March of 2021. This is a story that I had no clue about. And now all the people who knew about it are, are dead and uh, so I have, I have almost nobody to talk to, really. I mean, nobody to, to get more info from. My grandfather, my father's father, died when my father was 10 years old, so I never knew him. <clears throat> His name was Eugene, Eugene's story. And March of last year, 2021, my cousin, uh, Gay story, just out of, the, out of nowhere sent me an email, apparently... When I was a kid or teenager or something, at a family gathering, my father had come up to Gay with a newspaper clipping he pulled out of his pocket that had some story about his grandfather, Brooks' story, about something, uh, you know, related to crime or, you know, something not great, and showed it to Gay and said he hadn't told me or my brother about this because he was afraid it would upset us. So then Gay stored this info away for, you know, decades, never mentioned it. 
So she was worried it was going to upset me. Still, she was worried. So she reached out privately to my sister-in-law, Shannon, and said, Hey, Shannon, in all of your genealogy research, have you, uh, have you come across any kind of, you know, uh, negative stuff about Brooks or his brother? And Shannon said, No. But given this little clue from my cousin, Gay, Shannon started doing some Google searches where, you know, if you, if you Googled Brooks Story Desperado, you know, <laughs> Mississippi, then all of a sudden you get a zillion hits. And <laughs> it's like hiding in plain sight, you know, this, this story. So You just have to think to add Desperado to your search Yeah, you just window. need to add. <laughs> yeah, you just got to. So... This is a tip for everybody, you know, whenever you're searching for anything, throw in Desperado on occasion, just in case. You know? Yeah. It's like rolling the, rolling the, uh, the family history dice. <laughs> yeah. So then Shannon said, wow, look, you know, I found some stuff. Special dispatch to the Appeal Avalanche, Jackson, Mississippi, February 14th. Clarion Ledger, May 21st, 1896. Brooks Story and Sam and Seb Russell, on the night of October 8th, 1891, held up the express agent at Durant, Mississippi, and robbed the company of $2,396. On November 21st, the three broke jail, having overpowered the jailer, whose wife fired at the fleeing fugitives. February 5th, Detective Jackson tracked Story through the jungles of Yazoo, Sunflower, and into Starkey counties, locating him at the house of a farmer where he had tarried to rest his jaded horse. And en route to jail, after a severe struggle, again effected his escape. He's referred to as the you know most famous desperado from Mississippi at the time. At some point, I stumbled upon the fact that Brooks's younger brother Eugene had been convicted of murdering a guy and was hanged in a public hanging um, in Lexington, Mississippi. And, and I thought, wow, that is that is a big thing. And then my brother made a funny comment to me that we have we share a. I think a Y chromosome with a desperado and a and a murderer. So let me ask you then, you know, going back to this idea that your dad knew something about this but never really talked to you about it cuz he was worried it would upset you. Did it upset you? No. Not that I condone um, robbery or murder. Right. I certainly don't. Let me just go on record and say that. <laughs> of course. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the news went through the families, and then there was all this email threads and stuff about it. My wife and I have two kids who are teenagers, and my brother has uh, four kids, teenagers and young adults. And my cousin Gay... Who, who was still kind of imprinted with this, this idea that this might be shameful or upsetting. She sent me an email and said she, was, she felt bad that she had even kicked this off because now the kids knew and that she was worried that they were upset. 
So it's, it's an interesting thing that sense that this would be upsetting to people. From WALTFM and PRX, you're listening to Family Ghosts. I'm Sam Dingman. After the break, a Mississippi story about the stories of Mississippi. I thought, well, I got to write a song because I'm I'm a songwriter, so I got to write a song about this. This is too interesting. I was trying to figure out what is the song. I, I didn't want a song that just it was like the ballad of Brooks' story and just telling the right, you know, a straightforward, you know, telling of the story. And then I thought, you know, my grandfather, whom I never knew, was I think four years old when his father was convicted, and he spent most of his up, you know, most of his childhood. 10 to 12 years, his father was a famous desperado and was in and out of jail. He kept escaping and there'd be shootouts and then he'd get recaptured or he'd stay out for a while and then he'd roam around the country and then he'd come back and visit his family. And I thought, wow, what a life for a kid to have where that's who your father is. And so I thought, I never knew my grandfather, Eugene, and I would write this about him. The song would be addressed to him. Eugene, your father has been seen. Do you know where he might have been? Despite what he's done, I know he loves you. I want to ask you in, specifically in the song, in the chorus, you say, you know, Eugene, despite everything he's done, he loves you. And what's behind that? It seemed like the 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 way that Brooks got depicted in all the zillion uh, newspaper articles, it, you know, he was a mixed character, but he stayed connected to his family. And so I just figured two things. One was he I think he probably did love his family and and this was, you know, this was kind of unfortunate that he was 
you know, supposed to spend years in the penitentiary. And also just, I think I probably speculated that for Eugene, my grandfather, he, he probably needed to, needed to know that his father cared about him in this is to, to provide him yeah. some kind of, uh, uh, you know, stable emotional existence or something. It's tempting for me to see not maybe not a connection, but some interesting interlacing, I suppose, with the idea that this was a story that was not shared with you until you were much older. And in the song, what you're quote-unquote doing, you know, obviously Eugene can't literally hear the song, but, you know, depending on what you believe, hopefully he can hear it. You're providing him not just with the story, but with a loving interpretation of his father. That What you've received is the idea that you can't know this story because it will make you upset perhaps not love your family in the way that you otherwise would, you're doing both for him. You're saying, here is the story, and also it does not change the fact that your father loves you. These two things can coexist. Yeah, that's a very good point. And I think that as I was trying to get into the mindset of talking to my grandfather about this and commiserating or or something, I, I had that feeling like, you know, this is still your family. He's still your father. I want to go back, though, to the, the verb you used when you were talking about what you're doing in the song. You said commiserating, um, which is a very interesting verb to use. Do, do I, should I interpret that to mean that the narrator in the song who's telling the story, giving this information to Eugene, do you imagine that as you yourself? Yeah, I, I imagine it as me myself. I'd have to go look in the lyrics and see whether I actually give any more hint to that. But uh, you know, kind of connecting it with our earlier, um, you know, the earlier discussion about whether I, this was upsetting or not uh, to me. It's you know, like I am a descendant of this guy, and I have the same, and I have an ancestor with with this checkered past, and so. Um, you know, it, it, I guess in a way it is some kind of, uh, it's not a celebration, but it's an acknowledgement of family and family bonds, even in the midst of adversity or complication. Do you view the fact that your dad didn't share this with you all as an act of love? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. You know, my father was a child of the Depression and then was in the Army in World War II. And, you know, sort of classic, okay, now he's going to make things better for himself and particularly for his kids. You know, the kids are supposed to now rise another level. And um, so... I'm going to speculate that he he just he didn't want he didn't want us burdened by this past. It's interesting to me that you know we had this big family um with these big stories 
who were living in Kosciuszko, Mississippi, which is in uh, the sort of the center of the state. And my grandfather, Eugene, moved away from Kosciuszko. They moved south in Mississippi to get away from all this stuff. Later you moved away to escape the shame So my father grew up in another little town in South Mississippi, and that's where uh, Eugene's wife, Daisy, my grandmother, lived. And so that was where we, we would go visit Daisy. That was where my father grew up. That was where our roots were, so to speak. Nobody ever mentioned Kosciuszko. We never went to Kosciuszko. I've been to Kosciuszko maybe twice in my life. Everybody just shut that down. Everybody who knew. My father had three siblings. I'm sure they all knew this story. And Daisy as well. And nobody mentioned it. So it was really like they were just er trying to erase it from the, the family history and, and move on and not be tainted by it, not be upset by it, whatever, whatever else might be, uh, you know, negative, a negative effect of it. Yeah. And yet, and yet you shared it with your own kids right away. Yeah. What, 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 what prompted you to do that? <laughs> it was just that, it was that instant uh, fascination with the story and, you know, uh, the fact that it had been held, withheld from us. I just, you know, I, I couldn't wait to tell somebody about it. And in fact, I was mentioning uh, that I was going to be talking to you, to my daughter, and we were sort of replaying this whole scene with Gay and my dad at the family gathering. And, and my daughter asked me, was I upset when I heard this news? You know, and I said, you know, no, I was not upset. So, <laughs> I, I mean, I actually I did ask myself, like, at what point do you not, like, if, my, if I discovered my father while I was alive, with, living with my father, and my father got convicted of, of a felony, you know, I would be ashamed of that, I think. I would, I, it, would be, it would be a very difficult thing to accept and to know whether I could talk about it. I've wondered, you know, like at what point does it become fascinating and shareable versus something that you kind of keep to yourself and don't want to don't share? Time is a, is a great launderer of uh, shame. Family Ghosts will continue in a moment. To me, it's also interesting that you discovered this additional branch in the story of your family 
at a time in your life when you left sort of one life behind and set out on a new path, left your career in tech and are now focused on music. Is there a sense in which you are discovering new facets of yourself as you discover new facets of your family history? And do those things inform each other? I will say that, you know, I have, I've lived most of my life in New York City. And yet, you know, I feel this deep connection with the South. I'm like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Southerner. But my father was not, you know, he's, he was kind of an introvert and a socially awkward guy and not very, every time I asked him about his childhood, he just he never really told me much. I, you know, he was not a, a gregarious talker sharing a zillion stories that would fill out what life was like growing up in Mississippi. And so having all this, this vivid stuff all of a sudden show up was kind of, for me, just really kind of great because I feel like my picture of his family and their growing up and all that is very, it's kind of minimal and a, a, a lacking in color, I would say. Well, and it, I don't want to lose sight of the fact, too, that if, if I'm remembering the timeline correctly, your father lost his father when he was 10, right? Yep, yep. So... Yeah, and yeah, so... Um, yeah. Yeah, that's right. My father did a bunch of genealogy research later in his life. And, and I remember his telling me, you know, the names of his, his grandfather, Brooks, and yet he didn't mention any, any of this stuff. So I guess the word was his father was kind of strict. Maybe his, his father, Eugene, the one that I sing to, mm-hmm. um, was, you know, in an attempt to you know, set things right after the sort of the scandal of his of his father and uncle um, got very, you know, kind of locked everything down. My father was kind of a locked down micromanager, emotionally stingy kind of guy. And then my father lost his father. And so, I don't know, I guess there was a sort of a survive and make it work ethic that kicked in. Well, one of the reasons that I'm fascinated by this story for Family Ghosts is, as you pointed out, on its face, it's just a fascinating narrative. But also, it puts its finger on this idea that I think is at the heart of almost every story that we do, which is there are these stories and elements of our family histories that get withheld, and it is very easy for folks of later generation to look back at that withholding and feel like they were robbed of something or not understand why these things wouldn't have been shared. And it's very easy to lose sight of 
the privilege that accompanies being alive in a time when you can acknowledge the uglier parts of history and also hold empathy for the people who perpetrated that ugliness or were associated with that ugliness. And that was not always so. And maybe, you know, I don't know if I have uh, any authority to say this, but maybe especially in the South. Yeah. Both of my parents came from little towns in Mississippi, poor families, and there was this sense of a sort of class system in Mississippi amongst the white folks, you know, the white folks who were from the Delta, who had a lot of money, and then folks like in the pine forests in the South, where my father was from, or the Red Clay Hills, where my mother came from, where, where the land wasn't so good. And they were trying to make themselves succeed in a world where they were kind of a a lower class in a way and uh, amongst the whites. And there was this kind of pervasive feeling of like trying to do everything right and be above reproach and follow the rules. That was kind of the, the whole family vibe. And so, yeah, that doesn't mix with saying, eh, and oh, by the way, you know, um, we've got <laughs> we've got this crazy, this craziness, you know, craziness and and uh, and crime and murder and on the run and shootouts. And that's not the sort of thing that would have helped them succeed in this um, middle class society in Mississippi. I struggle with being, you know, an introvert and having some of the same qualities as my father. And so part of songwriting for me is just trying to unlock myself and get get what I'm feeling out there and and you know, muck with it and see it and explore it and express it and and those sorts of things. So um I, I guess in a way I'm I'm on a I'm on a like a personal quest to to do more of that and kind of come out of my own shell and that was imposed by this sort of lockdown um, ethic of my own family. And so finding a story like this, it's almost like it's liberating in kind of a weird way. It's like, wow, there was some crazy stuff going on there. And, you know, I, I, I and it's my people. I'm always reminded in with stories like this of, one of my favorite movies is Magnolia, and there's that recurrent line in it, we may be through with the past, but the past isn't through with us. And it's such an example, this story of how you can attempt to suppress the reality of who your forebears were and formulate this idea that that legacy will not affect you. But even your own dad, he he seemed to know in some innate way that he needed to keep some tangible connection with this in the form of this clipping and literally and figuratively pass it on at some point. And I'm sure in his head, he couldn't move on. I mean, it was, it was, it was stuck with him and he probably just didn't know what to do with it exactly. Well, and now there is this song out in the world that 
really lays it all out there and does it in a way that is (laughs) a much richer, emotional, potent telling than just a kind of dry narrative on an old newspaper clipping. Just to say, like, I am just a, a fan of the song Pure and Simple. I think it's an awesome song. And there's so many things about it that appeal to me. One of the things that I wanted to ask you about just from a songcraft standpoint and whether or not there's any tie-in to the narrative that we've been discussing is on that chorus, you say, Eugene, your father has been seen. And it's, the harmony on that is really beautiful, but it's also very, it strikes me as almost, there's something almost like church choiry about it. it. It's so big and resonant and it's so many voices and I have this image of like the light of truth like bursting through the clouds. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, that's nice. That's nice. And I wonder what your thought process was in in building that that harmony. I think I had a sort of urge to make it kind of anthemic and big. Um, and it was like a, a, a it's kind of a deeply emotional reaching out to Eugene you know, one of the things that struck me was there, there was a, like a little, you know, there's so many newspaper articles, like zillions of them, really, all across the country about Brooks. And um, there was one where it was just like a little tiny blurb. But it, was like a, it was like a column of like just blurbs of, you know, here's, a, here's a, you know, this happened, this happened, this happened. And one of them was Brooks' story was seen. That was it. And I thought, this guy was famous enough that, 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 that the fact that he was seen at all was newsworthy, and they didn't have to say anything more about it. And I just thought that was kind of remarkable. So, um, I don't know, that was sort of inspired this. And I thought, you know, here's my grandfather. He's a kid, and his father is not home, and he doesn't know when he's going to show up. So, I just felt like, you know, it was it was kind of like a, big reaching out to him saying, you know, your father's out there somewhere and he loves you. Last question I have for you uh, is, you know, we're talking about this story that has haunted your family for multiple generations. And your last name is literally Story. Do you make anything of that? <laughs> um, I, I would like to, and people like that name. They think it's an interesting name, but I, I can't say that uh, there's any kind of uh, mystical thing going on here. I think it's just an accident. Yeah. The story of the stories. The story of the stories. There you go. Despite what he's done, I know he loves you.
The Midnight Disease is hosted, produced, mixed, and edited by me, Sam Dingman. My thanks to Guy Story for sharing his story with me. If you want to learn more about Guy and hear more of his music, check the links in the show notes. Our show art is by M.K. Cummins. And if you have thoughts on anything you have ever heard on The Midnight Disease, you can reach me, and I would love to hear from you. The email address is midnight at walt.fm. We'll be back next week with another great conversation. Thank you for letting your madness ride with mine. I'll talk to you then. And in the meantime, keep driving, Midnight Cruisers. You're listening to WALT. Homegrown. Homemade radio.